I'm Jeff Murphy from Boston University Alumni Relations, and I'm your host for an interview series showcasing the career paths of our most interesting and accomplished alumni. Welcome to the Proud to Be You podcast. My guest today is Somal Trevetti, a staff attorney at the Trone Center for Justice and Equality at the ACLU. Somal earned a degree from BU School of Law in 2009, and since then, he's worked in criminal defense and as a trial attorney at the Department of Justice and U.S. Attorney's Office. At the ACLU, Somal now works closely with the Campaign for Smart Justice, focusing on litigation, policy, and advocacy. As you'll hear, we explored his dynamic legal career, balancing work and family, and how networking taught him that taking risks can really pay off. Somal, thank you so much for joining us on the Proud to Be You podcast. Thank you. I know you attended Georgetown as an undergrad and went to BU Law for your for your graduate degree. Are you originally from the D.C. area or where did you grow up? No, actually, I grew up all over the Midwest and South. Um, uh, my dad is in oil and gas. And so we moved from Kansas to Oklahoma to Louisiana to Texas. So he sort of finally made it to the Holy Grail uh, of oil and gas. And um, I then... Uh, uh, then moved to D.C. and then up to Boston. What did you study at Georgetown? Uh, government and math, uh, which is not a common combination, uh, but uh, to me, uh, taught me how to think in a rigorous way. So it made a lot of sense um, and then made a lot of sense that I went to law school, too, because uh, rules uh, appeal to me uh, as most as they do to most nerdy lawyers. Uh, you, you mentioned your dad was in energy. Did you have other lawyers in your life as a kid or high school? And at what point did you sort of decide that becoming a lawyer was going to be the right path for you? I actually come from a family of scientists. And early on, I realized I wasn't smart enough to be one of them. So that was probably the biggest factor in becoming a lawyer. Um, but also, you know, we grew up all across the Midwest and South. And um those places really make you attuned to sort of the deep lasting segregation um, that exists in America, the inequality of opportunity that still exists in America. And so that was a big influence on deciding to go to law school. So law school, uh, walk us through the process of finishing up your undergrad. I know that you um, had at least one position before going to law school. Tell us how you how you found your way up to Boston. Sure. So uh, I stayed in D.C. after college. Um, I worked in sort of typically D.C. jobs, um, consulting at the World Bank and um, working on campaigns for the last year that I went to BU. And, you know, I I knew D.C. got its hooks in me pretty early. um, And I knew that I eventually wanted to be working in um, in the intersection of, of law and policy and, um, you know, when I went up to, to visit BU, I felt a strong sense of public service from the professors who had all worked in um, really fascinating areas of the law related to public policy. I think the students that they got represented a sort of diverse background of folks, many of whom had really interesting um, public facing jobs um, or majors. And, um, so it was really that sense of, of giving back from the BU community that, that helped make my choice for law school. Well, tell us more about your academic experience at BU. Uh, you mentioned, you know, some professors, things like that. Some of the other students that had an impact on you. Are there specific classes or projects or, uh, professors that really stand out in your mind as having that, that tremendous impact? Yeah, um, for sure. I will say, um, Tracy Macklin is our sort of professor emeritus of constitutional law and criminal procedure. And um, walking into his class day one, 
uh, changed my entire life and perspective on the law. I knew um, after taking his con law class that I wanted to do something in the area of constitutional law later in my career. And um, for at least the, the law students listening, you'll know that um, he is a hard ass for lack of a better term, and he makes you stick to your guns. And um, that was an invaluable experience for me, learning how to not only express my principles, but support them in the law. Um, and that's how I do it today. Um, but I'll say that an experience that really um, helped me along was after my or during my 1L year, we took a service trip down to New Orleans, um, which was still reeling from Katrina. And, um, and me and, and some friends of mine went down to FEMA trailers um, on the outskirts of the city and sort of collected information for use in later legal claims. Um, and sort of marrying the in-class experience um, uh, in Professor Macklin's and other classes with, with real human faces and real struggle um, in the wake of that storm, um, that sort of solidified it for me, that, uh, that the law is both something that you do on paper um, and something that you do on the ground with real people. Um, and that all happened my 1L year, and after that I was hooked. So it hasn't been that long since you finished at BU Law. Would your grad, your law student version of yourself be at all surprised to see where you are 10 years later with the ACLU? Um, I think no in some ways, right? I, I studied a lot of con law, and now I'm a constitutional lawyer. That's fantastic. Um uh, I'm sure he would be surprised to see me with two kids uh, living out in the burbs in D.C. I'm sure he'd be very disappointed <laughs> in my lack of uh, of edginess as an older lawyer. But, um, but you know, I will say that um, the one thing that I always saw myself being was a, a lawyer for the government. Um, and um, and while I was for a brief time in the Department of Justice, and I hope to be again one day, um, obviously. Uh, the events of 2016 and um, and you know the, the ways that government can be shown to to really thwart the will of the people and to undermine the constitution um, proves that we need um, equal parts uh, resistance from the outside and uh, principled folks working on the inside and so. Um, Right now, I happen to be on the outside providing a check and balance on um, the executive branch. Um, and if and when I ever go back in, I think it's just as vitally important to be, um, you know, principled from within. I'm going to change gears on you for a second here. One of the things that I think that that we don't talk enough about on the Proud to Be You podcast is the ability to balance a career and a family. And, and since you sort of brought it up, uh, I, I feel like you're probably being a little bit hard on yourself for saying that you don't have enough edginess as a lawyer, but you've obviously made a decision to have a couple kids. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you've been able to balance those two things, you know, ra raising kids and also having a successful career? Um, yeah, well, you'd have to ask my wife whether I'm balancing them very well at all. Uh, but, um, <laughs> you know, I think, I think what having a family can do is uh, reorient your perspective and, and give you priorities, right? It's very easy, particularly for a lawyer, but for any graduate coming out of a school like BU, you're going to have a lot of opportunities um, for, for, for great, you know, high impact, but high pressure jobs to sort of put your head down and work for five or 10 years, right? And, and to win that, um, that rat race. Uh, and I think what having a family can do is, um, 
is, is give you a second to pause. Now that sounds insane because my life is much more insane uh, with, with a toddler and a newborn. Um, but it does give you some sort of mental and existential space to decide what you really want your life to be. Um, you know, what you want to say to your kids that you do. Um, and whether, you know, you want your, your professional output to be about sort of quality, quantity or quality. Right. Um, and if you're lucky enough to, to have those kinds of choices um, when you graduate, then um, just taking that step back and, um, and viewing your life sort of holistically rather than only professionally, I think can be really useful. And kids are a great catalyst for that. So you mentioned sort of feeling like that there was this expectation for the first five to 10 years. That's when you're really putting your head down and, and doing 120% on your career. Um, am I hearing you right? Do you feel like the pressure is more on sort of younger lawyers uh, in your field to, to be so focused and not be able to have a family? Or are you still feeling that pressure now? Well, I won't lie to your listeners and say that being a lawyer ever becomes like a low pressure job. Uh, there's no question that, again, we're sort of lucky to be positioned to take jobs um, that matter, but those jobs are hard. Um, uh, but I think within the legal profession, there is a tendency to sort of chew up and spit out young, ambitious lawyers. Um, and it's easy to get caught up in it. Um, I think a tyranny of choice is a real problem, right? Indecision can be um, our biggest enemy, um, especially while you're working so hard and in a lot of cases making a lot of money and um, working on prestigious cases, right? It can all be very intoxicating, um, but um, but it's important also to to find some balance. And that's, a, I think, a little more possible um, the more senior you get. So I know from talking with you before that um, even though you've always had this passion for public service, that after finishing law school, it wasn't all necessarily a straight line for you. Can you talk about those first couple of years after after becoming a, a lawyer? Sure. So I went to a, a fantastic law firm in New York, Wilmer Hale, whose um, you know headquarters is in Boston, um, and I worked uh, in white collar investigations. Right really high profile, uh, super interesting government investigations uh, of our clients. And, um, and you know, that, that is where I wanted to be. That is, that is the kind of law that, that I wanted to be doing. And I loved it. Uh, and I have, I have not a bad thing to say about, about that firm or, or, um, or that, that life for young associates. Many of my, uh, my best friends in, in law school still do it and do it well. Um, but it was hard. There's no, there's no question about it. You know, you're, you're billing, uh, 2,500 hours a year. Um, you're getting emails from partners at three in the morning. Um, you know, you're, you're living off, uh, <laughs> sushi that you order your, to your desk because you're working until midnight and then getting back up and coming in at eight, you know, it's a hard life. Um, and, uh, it's great training and, uh, and you make invaluable connections, but, but again, uh, you know, you, you have to sort of sort of start thinking pretty early about what you're going to do next if that life isn't for you. So with, you know, 10 years of professional experience under your belt now and having made sort of a switch from Wilmer Hale to, to public service, what advice do you feel like you have now? What lessons did you learn those first few years out that you could share with other young lawyers about how to navigate those those long hours and, and the pressure of, of doing a good job? Yeah, well, I'll say that there's there's no substitute um, for being good in your work. 
right? And so uh, working at a law firm is an excellent crucible in which to hone your skills to become uh, a, a fantastic writer, a fantastic researcher, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, being good is always a, a, a great ticket. The other thing that, that, that working in our field can do is expose you to a lot of different areas of the law, right? Um, you can go to all kinds of lunches and galas and presentations. Um, you have access to those things. You have access to other incredible lawyers um, who have had um, really fascinating careers. And so my advice would be, um, A, do a great job, and B, take advantage of the opportunities to meet folks who have had um, different paths, right? And and realize that you can have those paths too. So I know if I have my timeline right, you were at Wilmer Hale for around seven years before making a pretty big decision. Uh, and that's when you went to the U.S. Department of Justice. Um, we talk a lot on the, this podcast about making those kinds of decisions. Can you tell us a little bit about what it went into your thinking process and how you sort of decided to make that move? Sure. Um, well, like I said, I, I was working in white collar investigations at Wilmer. So on the flip side, we were often um, defending folks um, in investigations brought by the government. Um, and, you know, you work closely enough with them, you start wanting to be one. Um, and so and, and so many of, of my mentors at the law firm were former federal prosecutors. Um, and and they, they couldn't have spoken more highly of that period in their lives where they were serving the government, um, trying cases, um, protecting victims, right? It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating and, 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 and satisfying job. And so I thought I'd try my hand at it. Um, and, and when I got there, it, it was in fact, all of those things and more, I think, um, I met some some really incredible trial lawyers who were doing, you know, the people's work um, as prosecutors. Um, however, uh, it didn't sit with me um, personally, uh, especially within the confines of, of the larger um, government. And um, and there are things about uh, prosecution that um, that I still think need fixing. Um, and I, I think there are, there are reforms, um, that are much needed to balance the playing field between prosecution and defense. So have you found that you've, you've been able to, to work on some of those very specific reform issues that you're interested in, or can, what, what can you tell us about the kinds of projects that you're doing for the ACLU? Sure. Um, so I work in the criminal law reform project, uh, and particularly in um, an, an initiative to reform the practice of prosecution and bring awareness to um, to Americans about just the power that prosecutors have and how they can wield that power for evil or for good. Um, and so that's a combination of litigating, which I do a lot of, um, uh, with uh, some writing, advocacy, legislative work, electoral work, whatever we can find um, to, again, raise awareness and um, create better incentives um, for prosecutors um, to reduce mass incarceration ultimately um, and sort of end the scourge of racial disparities that still um, taints our criminal justice system today. 
um, and has for hundreds of years. Um, and so it's a really fantastic opportunity to move beyond a sort of core litigation, which is a lo- what a lot of BU law graduates do, right? They go to a law firm and they litigate cases. They go to the government and they litigate cases. Um, going to a place like the ACLU gives you the chance to do, to exercise other brain muscles, right? To, to advocate to the public through op-eds and to advocate to legislators through model bills, um, right? Because we're not going to sue our way out of uh, mass incarceration or any of the other problems that we've got in America right now. It's going to take an all of the above approach. Um, but lawyers are really well suited to do that because they're subject matter experts um, and they're good at making arguments. Right. And so I think I've been very lucky at the ACLU to transpose some of the skills and expertise that I got as both a law firm lawyer and a government lawyer and now deploy them in multiple ways. So if you had uh, your Harry Potter magic wand and could sort of make one big change to the criminal justice system to to impose the kind of reform that you'd like to see, what specifically would you would you want to fix with that magic wand? I think we want to shrink the criminal justice system entirely and rely much more heavily on the kinds of social services and support systems that will keep folks from the criminal system in the first place, right? Um, And so right now we're seeing a wave across the country of quote unquote progressive prosecutors getting elected, right? There's one right in your backyard in Suffolk County, Massachusetts. Um, And I think, and, and one of the hallmarks of these progressive prosecutors is choosing to exercise discretion not to charge people. Right, um, particularly for low-level drug offenses, but but also for for a wide range of crimes or conduct that we currently call crime um, that doesn't need to be called crime at all, um, and that could be better addressed by shoring up the mental health system in America, shoring up su- substance abuse, education, housing. Right. So if I could if I could wave my magic wand, I would shrink the power of the prosecutor and of the state. Uh, criminal apparatus and move those resources into non-criminal systems that will save money, that will help people with underlying problems, and therefore keep us much safer than simply uh, a really short-sighted addiction to prosecution and incarceration, which might make people feel good. It might serve a retributive function, but it's not really serving the long-term goal of keeping everybody safe and um, giving people opportunity such that they um, don't have to turn to uh, crime and misconduct in the first place. It's a really interesting idea. I'm I'm wondering if you have specific uh, resources within the ACLU or other places that people might go to read more about that exact topic. Anything to recommend that folks that might want to dig a little deeper on this issue? Sure. Um, Well, the ACLU has an advocacy wing in their criminal justice apparatus called the Campaign for Smart Justice. And and you can look it up online. And we outline right there all of the different ways that the criminal justice system could be smarter. Um, Many of the things that I just talked about, but also things like bail reform, right? Sentencing reform. Um, all of the individual elements of the criminal justice system that right now pretty much conspire to um, put people in jail for as long as possible and hope that that serves the sort of larger public safety goals um, that we want out of the criminal justice system, but that have failed miserably. Um, 
And so I, I, I would start there. There are also, you know, many, many groups out there doing this kind of smarter justice work. So if um, if BU students want to go look for organizations to work at, you know, obviously I'll rep the ACLU, but the Vera Institute, the Civil Rights Corps, Just Leadership USA, Color of Change, you know, there are no shortage of organizations bringing really unique, um, really cutting edge thinking to um, this space right now. I think we're really living in a renaissance um, and we're making real change. It's bipartisan change, um, as you saw with the First Step Act at the federal level. Um, it is cross-ideological, right? You have libertarians supporting criminal justice um, for their reasons. You have conservatives and Christian conservatives supporting it for their reasons. And you have liberal, liberals and progressives um, supporting it for their reasons. Um, and whatever your reason, the end goal ought to be, let's severely shrink the size of the criminal system and support other parts of our society um, that have been ignored for way too long. I know that you've you've mentioned it during your time at BU Law, sort of finding your tribe of um, people becoming lawyers who are really passionate about public service, public interest. Uh, but the reason you and I were introduced is because you've got a really neat story about having a really strong BU network just within the ACLU and specifically a couple other lawyers that you're connected to at other ACLU offices. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, we are rolling deep at the ACLU these days. Um, two of my very good friends from law school who are a class above me um, Josh Tom is now the legal director at the ACLU of Mississippi, and Jared Keenan is a staff attorney at the ACLU of Arizona. Um, and not only are have we now sort of been reunited under the same ACLU umbrella, but we all work on criminal justice issues together, um, which has been so fun for a million reasons, um, but really also underscores how um, BU creates public-minded lawyers. Um, and now we're all here uh, and it's fantastic. We talk a lot about the importance of having a BU network, but just a network in general. Can, any comments about the importance that networking has played in your career? Yeah, it's been invaluable. I think anybody can tell you that there are jobs that are posted online and there are jobs you get through the people you know, and the latter far outstrips the former, right? Um, and so I think networking gets a bad rap and we all get exhausted going to cocktail parties and like trotting out the same five talking points, trying to hustle out there and get a job. But um, like I said before, um, I think we can view it in a, in a slightly better light, which is getting to meet people who have dared to do fascinating things with their careers, right? It is very easy as a lawyer or any kind of professional to sort of follow lockstep in a, in a sort of standardized career. Um, because especially as a lawyer, you're going to get paid pretty well no matter what, right? And you're going to have job security and you're going to be comfortable, um, at least more so than a lot of professions. Um, but what networking does is show you that risks can pay off, right? Um, and it can introduce you to people who at some point were in exactly your position, stuck at a fork in the road, and who took the took the, the leap. Um and it gives you the confidence to take leaps yourself. Uh, and so I think if we view networking through that lens, and I have, I think it's been uh, an invaluable tool to, to get me where I am today. I love that idea that networking can help show you that risks can be taken. I'm, I'm really glad that you shared that with us. Uh, so you haven't been at the ACLU for a terribly long time. I think just coming up on two years or so. Um, not that you, not that you've indicated you have plans to 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 move on. But what what does the future hold for you? What do you hope to accomplish with the uh, with the rest of your career? You know, 
I would like to um, systematize the kinds of reforms that we're currently making um, in the courts and sort of one by one at the state level. I think it's fast. It's fantastic what we're doing um, in the criminal justice space and elsewhere at the ACLU. Um, but it's still from the outside in. And so, I, you know, I mentioned that um, that I could see myself in government down the road. And I still believe in government service. And I still believe that government can be a force for good for people. Um, and so if I had the opportunity to take the lessons that I've learned um, in the private sector, in government, and now uh, in the nonprofit sector, and, and nationalize them and, and really make them lasting um, and really to 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 lead by example right we the US Department of Justice at the federal level doesn't actually control much of the criminal justice system over 80% of of folks who are behind bars today um are there in a state system but you can lead by example and i think um uh being in a position like that to to espouse values from a national stage and to to make change at a national level could be really impactful. And so um, while I love my job right now, I could see that as a possible landing place later. Well, Somo, I'm, I'm so glad that our, my colleague at the law school connected us. Uh, it's been great to chat with you and and thank you for the work that you're doing uh, through the ACLU on, on some really important stuff. Uh, and, and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to talk to us. No, thank you so much. This uh, you're doing a great job with this podcast, and uh, I'm I'm lucky to have the chance to speak to um, other carriers. It's been great. I appreciate that. Thanks again, Somal. Thank you. Thanks again to Somal for joining me on the podcast. If you're interested in learning more about the ACLU's criminal justice reform efforts, visit aclu.org/smartjustice. And if you'd like to connect directly with Somal, I know he'd be happy to have you reach out to him on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening to the Proud to Be You podcast. If you like what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review Proud to Be You wherever you download your episodes. I'm Jeff Murphy, and no matter where your path takes you, be proud to be you. The Proud to Be You podcast is produced by Boston University Alumni Relations. Our theme is from Jump and APM Music. To learn more about Proud to Be You, visit bu.edu slash alumni slash podcast.